This is the Navigating Adult ADHD podcast, here to help you navigate and thrive with ADHD in adulthood. I'm your host, Zena, and I was diagnosed at age 36. As with many ADHDers, I have a rebellious and non-conformist style. And that means that there will likely be swearing in the coming episode. Please be mindful of any little people. Hello, my fellow ADHDers. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 42 of Navigating Adult ADHD, where today you get to join me in a celebration. Today is at the time of recording this. I am recording this episode for you all on my ADHD birthday. So not my actual birthday, my ADHD birthday. So the date that I was officially finally diagnosed with ADHD. So we're going to celebrate that and I'm going to share with you five things that I have learned since getting the official diagnosis. And I say it like that because I had assumed for a few years before going for the official diagnosis that I had ADHD and so I operated as if. So I was self-diagnosed long before getting the air quotes official diagnosis and I pursued official diagnosis because I wanted to experience medication and see if that could help with some of the challenges I was experiencing. And in my experience, yes, the meds have definitely helped, but so have so many of the other lifestyle changes and mindset and dopamine related changes that I have made as well as working a lot with my nervous system. So Today, December 20th, the time of recording is my ADHD birthday and it's a celebration. And I'm celebrating the day that I confirmed my brain and my world is different to, you know, let's say roughly 80% of the population. And also celebrating the day that everything finally made sense. And celebrating the day I got a new life. When I felt like my life went from black and white to full of color. And I think all of these things deserve to be acknowledged and celebrated. And imagine if when somebody was diagnosed with a form of neurodivergence, so whether that be a child, a teenager, an adult, regardless of age, imagine if we actually celebrated them and how positively different and more inclusive our world our world would be if we did that. I think it would be such a wonderful thing to do. So this is a movement I highly encourage that you take up, <laughs> celebrate your ADHD birthday. And come on, who doesn't love an excuse for cake? <laughs> I made sugar-free chocolate brownie this morning and we're going to do a candle later. We're going to put the candles in there. And I brought a bottle of champagne to celebrate this day with my ADHD, with my family and my ADHD family, which includes all of you, which is why I decided to record this today. You guys are my ADHD family and I'm here sharing this day with all of you because it deserves to be celebrated. And I want to share five lessons that I have learned since getting diagnosed. Okay. So let's kick that off with number one, which is around procrastination. And I'm going to share these in the form of like my lessons, but also talking about ADHD in general. I know it won't necessarily apply to everyone because ADHD is on a spectrum and, you know, some people have 
very extreme symptoms in some cases, whereas some people will have very low symptoms in that, but they will have extreme somewhere else. So I know we vary, okay? So number one, I procrastinate for a reason, and it's not because I'm lazy or that I don't have what it takes. That was something that my brain tried really hard to convince me of, that I'm just a lazy person or I don't have what it takes. I procrastinate because of how I feel. So sometimes with this podcast, I will procrastinate recording it until the day before or the morning of when it's going to be released. Now that doesn't happen very often, but on the instances that it does happen, it's because I'm usually feeling uncertain about the content or uncertain about what I'm going to record. Okay, so that feeling of uncertainty leads me to procrastinate. Another common one for me is fear. If I'm afraid of something, I will often put it off or avoid it. And here's another lesson in this procrastination lesson is that when I procrastinate, I'm usually incredibly productive. Meaning that if I'm, say, avoiding recording this podcast for you all, I might be cleaning the entire house, like getting the cobwebs off the ceiling and, you know, getting the getting in the oven even and cleaning the oven. And that's going to come up a bit later. But, you know, things like that. I will get a shitload of other things done when I'm avoiding a specific task. And I think that that's great. So it's not that I'm doing nothing when I procrastinate. Sometimes I will have Netflix on, but for the most part, I'm actually quite productive in a different area. Also, some of what I used to think was procrastination is actually strategy. So it is a strategy that works for my brain. Meaning that when I put something off to the last minute, so say, I'll give you an example of this. I had to give a talk uh, a couple of months ago now, and I didn't go into my slideshow. Like I had a slideshow I'd used for the last one that I was going to use again, but I didn't go into that and update it and practice it until the day before. And I thought, wow, I'm really like kind of procrastinating this. But then I realized that, you know what, the strategy of having urgency, having a deadline and knowing that I need to go in and just update it and run through it a couple of times. That's actually a strategy that works for me. Doing something last minute isn't a problem for me. It actually works. It is a tool or a strategy that works for me. So I've realized that some of the things I used to thought was procrastination or, you know, I should really do it sooner or I should, you know, I'm putting something off or avoiding it. It actually does get done. It just might not get done when I air quotes think it should get done. And that's not a problem. And that was like a big epiphany for me. Like me doing something last minute doesn't mean it's not going to get done. It's going to get done. It's just going to get done the day before. And that's okay. So I've stopped making that a problem and life just got way easier. And everything still gets done in that regard. Now, also using the NICU is a great tool. So again, we have an episode on this, but NICU stands for making tasks novel. So that's the N. The I is interesting. The C is competitive or challenging. The U is urgent. If we can add an element of one or more of those to a task, we can really support our brain to get on board with doing it. And so often, because I'm 
I find a lot of us ADHDs and neurodivergence, we are quite creative. So it's like a challenge for my brain to be like, okay, which one of these four things can I use to get my brain on board with doing this? How can I make this task fun or interesting? Or how can I add an element of challenge or urgency to this task to get my brain on board? Like it's, it's kind of like a little puzzle that I have to solve. And it, I think that's really fun. So it's a great tool to have in my back pocket to be able to use. And sometimes I've also realized with procrastination that I'm procrastinating because the shit that I think needs to get done actually doesn't need to get done. It's actually not that important, meaning I can cross it off my fucking list. And that's that. It's not the end of the world. And the example right here is cleaning the oven. Cleaning the oven has been on my list of shit that I should, air quotes, should do for so long. And I hate shoulds. Anything that I feel like I should do, I'm very rebellious and generally won't do. My partner's like, oh, you should do that. I'm like, fuck that. That's not going to happen now. (laughs) Because should is such a shitty word, okay? We need a whole episode on that. But anything that we think we should do feels like pressure. It feels like crap. But for me, I'm like, the oven is filthy. Oh my God, I really do need to clean this oven. And then I realized one day, I was like, the oven functions fine without me cleaning it. And I hate chemicals and toxic stuff in there anyway. And that's the only way this oven's going to get cleaned. So you know what? I'm just going to cross it off the list and nobody's going to die. It's actually not that important. Somebody opens it and judges me because I haven't got a clean oven. They're welcome to clean it. (laughs) So... I kind of had this realization that sometimes I'm, I'm putting shit like that off because it's not life or death. It's not really that important. And it'll maybe get done sometime. Maybe somebody else will do it. Maybe I'll decide to do it over the Christmas break. Sometimes I get in these, you know, hyperfixation cleaning modes. And that's how the oven got cleaned last time is I was just like in the mood and the mode of hyperfixating on cleaning. And that's how it got done last time. So that could happen again. But it doesn't have to be something that... I worry about or I stress about or I tell myself I'm procrastinating or putting off or beat myself up for. I can just literally cross it off the list and go, you know what? One day it'll happen and that's okay. So all of that to say, I've learned a lot about procrastination. All right. Lesson number two is I don't want to be neurotypical. This is quite an emotional one for me because I think For so much of my life, and I'm getting emotional with you all, (laughs) for so much of my life, I really thought that the goal was just to be like everyone else, that if I could just be like everyone else, then I would be happy and, you know, life would be great. And I have realized I don't want to be neurotypical and I don't want to be like, you know, let's just say roughly 80% of the population who are neurotypical. I don't want to be like them. The goal in life isn't to be like everyone else. It is to be yourself and to accept that. And neurotypical to me is not better. If anything, to me, neurotypical is actually quite boring. Now that I have embraced who I am and what I love and all of my strengths, I see that if I was to be a neurotypical person and to force myself to be like that, I would really be trying to squish myself into a box. For example, I love dressing in bright colors. So right now I'm wearing a neon, uh, neon greeny yellow colored dress and I have matching neon green nails. Actually, they're my Christmas nails. And I've got bright blue toenails. But my entire wardrobe is full of bright 
colors and I love wearing that it's I've actually learned that there's this thing called dopamine dressing and I definitely do that I dress myself you know to get the dopamine pleasurable experience of wearing bright and enjoyable things but to me if I didn't have ADHD if I wasn't neurodivergent I would be more concerned with perhaps wearing maybe more dull and boring things or you know in in my mind that's how I see it that I wouldn't be me I wouldn't enjoy like I've got this bright beautiful colorful office I wouldn't have that because to me it's such a dopamine experience a pleasurable experience to have all of these bright beautiful fun funky things surrounding me so I don't want to be neurotypical I don't want to be like anyone else I want to be me and just embrace that and enjoy that more and more and more so that to me has been so freeing and I think a lot of the emotion tied in this for me is because so many of the women I work with the clients that I coach they come to me wanting to be more neurotypical wanting to be able to get more done wanting to be more productive wanting to be able to switch their brain off and and basically wanting to be you know like someone or something that they're not and I think so so much of the work that I have done and why I I feel like I'm really thriving with ADHD is because I have accepted that I'm not like those people and that's okay. Some days I'm not hugely productive. Other days I'm ridiculously fucking productive. Like nobody could match me and that's okay. Like I'm different. And one of the things that I, I realized this year is that different isn't bad. I think so often, especially in in school, right? Like I was the overweight kid in in school. There's this class photo of me and I was, we had this like centennial photo. I think it was like celebrating a hundred years of our school. And we had this whole, whole school photo and there was about 200 kids. And I was the largest kid in that photo by far. Like I was the fat kid growing up in school. So, you know, I use that example as like, I was different than most of the other kids. And I was picked on and ridiculed and bullied because of that. And I think that, we learn in as kids growing up, like for our survival, we just want to fit in and be like everyone else. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to be different because differences are, you know, picked on and, and bullied and so forth. But now, and and I understand that there's a lot wrapped up in that, and that that is a lot of why we we try so hard to fit in as neurodivergence and why we can often mask our symptoms because it is a form of survival and a form of safety. But now that I have accepted my differences, I see that being different isn't bad. In fact, difference is what adds color and flavor to the world that we live in. One of the reasons I love to travel is because when I'm traveling, I'm experiencing different things and my mind is being blown by things I've never seen or heard of or tasted or touched before. And I love that. I love difference. And I am different. You are different. We are different. And I love being different. So all of that to say, I don't want to be neurotypical. (laughs) That was number two. All right. Number three is walking is a form of medication. And that could be exercise in general is a form of medication. But to share my experience of this, for the past six months, I have walked 10,000 steps every single day with the exception of I think there was one travel day in there um, and getting sick I think I had a couple of days off for being sick but 
basically every single day it's a non-negotiable commitment for me that I walk 10,000 steps a day. I got this cheap armband tracker thing. It's not one of the um, like iPhone or, or, you know, it's not one of the ones that has all of your notifications pop up and your messages and your calls and all of that shit. No, I didn't need any more of that. <laughs> it's just the basic one that tells the time, counts your steps, tells you your heart rate, that kind of thing. That's it. Super basic. But for me, it's just about tracking my step count because what I have learned in doing this, and I roughly, what I'll do is I'll go for a walk every morning and every afternoon slash evening. And it's roughly 30 minutes, two times a day. Now, sometimes on the weekends, I'll only need to go for one walk because I'm walking around so much in the house, like doing the gardens over the weekend, cleaning, wandering around, you know, going out shopping, what have you, that I actually clock up that amount anyway. But what I have found from doing this is that that walk in the morning helps me to start producing dopamine. I get out, uh, you know, and I'm getting some sunlight and some daylight early. That helps to support my circadian rhythm, which helps with sleep. Um, I'm helping to support and calm my nervous system, my emotional regulation, my mental health. The benefits of me doing this are fucking huge. It literally is a form of medication and doing it later in the day, especially I do it every weekday when I'm working. It's not as imperative to me on the the weekends, although I do the 10,000 steps, but that afternoon walk for me is very much about regulating my emotions, helping myself come out of fight or flight. If I'm in fight or flight, it's about processing any difficult things from the day and It's about, you know, calming myself down and really helping me in so many areas, like so many, as I said, and it can be any exercise, but for me, it's not about, you know, having to do this for weight loss or having to do this for, you know, cardiovascular, whatever. It's just about getting it out there and doing something to move my body without too much pressure attached because I'm producing dopamine. I am regulating my nervous system. I am supporting my mental health, my physical health, my emotional health. I am ticking so many boxes. I'm helping myself to sleep. It is a form of medication. So I'm a huge, huge fan of that. And there is so much research to support that, which I have talked about in previous episodes. Number four is I've got to listen to my body and I've got to advocate for myself. And this is something that I am forever saying to my clients, to all of you guys, that we have to listen to our bodies and advocate for us. Now, I have shared the story before of when I went to the doctor to ask for the referral to the psychiatrist to get my ADHD diagnosis, he laughed at me. This was a male doctor who I had grown up with one of his children. We'd gone to the same school. And, you know, so he he had a rough idea of who I was and he knew me and he could see my medical records. And I'd been to him off and on. He wasn't the doctor I saw all the time. But he laughed at the idea that I had ADHD. And I had to advocate for that referral and I did get it, but it, it wasn't pleasant, right? And I have experienced that many a time on this journey, having to advocate for myself. Just the other day, I went to see a female GP and my regular doctor has done an exchange. So she's overseas and this is the, the UK equivalent of her. They've basically done a house swap for a year. So this doctor, I've now been to see her a few times this year. 
and I went in to discuss going on the pill and I had been on the Mirena previously and I had started to wonder after I got diagnosed with ADHD if that was really supporting me or not so I took the Mirena out and I said look I want to go on the pill and I would prefer something estrogen based because of the research I've done I'm currently 37 and I believe that my estrogen levels are declining which is why my ADHD symptoms are becoming more kind of rampant so I would like something estrogen based. Anyway, she talked me out of that and for whatever reason, she went through went through a bunch of stuff, said, I really think you should be on something progesterone based. So I think you should be on the mini pill. I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. Anyway, it was a progesterone based pill. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll trial it. So she gave me three months worth. And about two and a half, about two, two and a half months in, I started to notice that my mood was getting really, really low again. Like almost bordering on like being depressed. Like I wasn't depressed, but I was like really low mood, not really caring about a lot and just just not very happy, not excited about anything. Now, this is a common sign of symptom of going into ADHD burnout or dopamine debt. Now, I was fully aware that that was not happening to me because I know that so well. I know the research. I have been in that place and I do a lot of things specifically to avoid that. So I was fully aware it is not that. But if you think that that's something you could be experiencing, I definitely recommend checking out the dopamine debt and ADHD burnout podcast episode that I have to have a look at that. But I knew it wasn't that. And I was like, this is not like me. Now, maybe this is, you know, my hormones changing and maybe this is just something in a mix with my ADHD. Like maybe this is something I'm just going to have to navigate for a while. But anyway, I was telling one of my closest friends about this, Becca. You've had Becca has been on the podcast where we talked about self-compassion. That's Becca. So I was telling her about this and she said, hey, I experienced something very similar recently when I started taking the pill. And she said, I stopped taking it. And within 48 hours, I noticed a complete change. I was like, what? The pill? Really? I was thinking maybe I need to change my ADHD medication. Like maybe I need some supplements. I hadn't even considered that it could be the pill that I was taking. So I stopped taking it. And within a couple of days, probably three, maybe four days, I had noticed a significant change in my mood. I feel back to myself again. That still means that I have the ups and downs of the monthly cycle. And they're kind of sporadic, to be fair, right now. But I feel like me. Without taking that pill, I am way better better than I was. All of that to say that 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 pill I was taking did not work for me. Even though the doctor recommended it and talked about women in my age group and research and ADHD and all the things, it did not work for me. So again, you've got to listen to your body. You've got to advocate for yourself. Just last week, I had a client tell me that she was taking the fish oil I recommend. I recommend omega-3 Um, fish oils but with a high EPA level there is so much research behind why having a high EPA a thousand milligrams or more can be very supportive of like brain function brain health and those of us with ADHD and a bunch of other things as well so anyway she had been taking that and she said I I just kind of was listening to my body and I was like I don't know if that's helping me I'm experiencing you know a few different weird symptoms so I took it out of my diet and she said within a couple of days I felt so much better So even when I recommend something, when your doctor recommends something, when your psychiatrist prescribes something, you've still got to listen to your body and trial it and find out what works for you and advocate for yourself if you don't think it's working. 
okay? And of course, you guys know I am not a medical doctor. I'm an ADHD expert and a mindset coach, but not a medical doctor, okay? So please, you know, do your own research, speak to your own professionals and medical professionals specifically around this. But again, listen to your body, advocate for you. All right, final one, number five, this is my favorite. Having my own back is the secret sauce. It really is. When I talk about having my own back, sometimes people are like, well, what does that even mean? If you were to think about how you back other people, how do you back your best friend? How do you back your partner? How do you have their backs? It's very much about like us loving and supporting them, encouraging them, believing in them, wanting the best for them, being their big cheerleader, you know, like we would do anything for them, that kind of a relationship. That's how we, you know, support and and have the backs of other people in our lives. What having my own back is, is doing all of that for me. It's really about making sure that I don't get left off the to-do list. If anything, I'm put on the top of the list. Having my own back is, you know, sometimes it is advocating for myself. It is saying, you know what, I don't have the capacity to do that today. Can we reschedule? Having my own back is about supporting myself, encouraging myself, believing in myself and being really kind and considerate of myself, treating myself the way I treat others with love and respect. It is treating myself that way. And I'll tell you what, this is something that I have been talking about for a number of years and it is something that I have been, I would say it's like a practice. It's like I'm always learning about how I can have my own back and support myself more and looking at the ways in which I may have fallen short and how I can, you know, make different decisions next time. It's something I'm always learning and growing in. But it really is an absolute life changer. And I see this with the clients I work with too, when I, you know, teach them this concept and we talk about, you know, what it looks like and how they can apply this in their life and and how their life, you know, how they may not be doing this at the moment and what the benefits of doing that could be and where where they can start doing it and and how their life could be different if they were to really embody having their own backs it is a literal game changer having your own back i think it's going to be the next podcast episode but hey i've got adhd i could go off on a squirrel tangent <laughs> and we could have a different one but i'm definitely going to do an episode entirely on this because it is huge All right, my friends, that is it. I'm off to celebrate my ADHD birthday today. Huge love to you, my friends. Happy New Year. This is actually going to be out in 2024, January of 2024. It's going to be so weird getting used to saying that. (laughs) Happy New Year. And here's to having our best year yet. Huge love, my friends. Take care. I'll speak to you soon. Hey, friend. I know exactly what it's like to feel frustrated and confused with your ADHD and to wish that you could better understand what the hell is going on in your brain. And that's exactly why I created my coaching program, Thriving with ADHD. Inside Thriving with ADHD, you learn a step-by-step process to set and finally achieve your goals, to understand yourself and your ADHD. It's where you learn to feel better and manage your emotions and create systems and processes that work for you with your ADHD brain. 
This is designed for you to learn how to thrive with ADHD so you can create the life that you were meant to live. Visit xenajones.com slash ADHD to learn more and book a consultation.